3: Body Bags with Joseph Scott Morgan The toughest job I ever had, I guess physically, was when I was growing up. I fancied myself a football player. And in order to stay in shape during the off-season, I would cut wood. This ranged from felling trees to also splitting the wood with generally a sledgehammer, a wedge, a maul, and an axe, and stacking it up. Hardest job physically that I've ever had in my life. But what comes into play is the fact that I would have to use a chainsaw, and I learned to use one at an early age and it is a tool to be respected. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about a case that's come to my attention involving a chainsaw, but this chainsaw was used and purposed in a way that not many people would think of. Today, we're going to talk about the death and dismemberment of Margaret Craig. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. At this point in my life, my grandparents have long since been deceased. And with the passing of each one, I I grieved immensely. I loved my grandparents dearly on both sides, and many people can identify with that. But never in my wildest dreams did I ever imagine That I would be having a discussion with you, Dave Mack, about a death involving a grandmother who was apparently at some point in time really loved by the two alleged perpetrators. And in that discussion, we would talk about chainsaw dismemberment and disposal of a body using a barbecue grill. Have you ever heard of anything like this before?
4: No, this is a whole new level of disgust, depravity. I don't know. When I don't know when things changed, and maybe they didn't. Maybe this has always gone on and we just never heard about it. But at no point in time in my life did I ever occur to me that we might have a story about loved ones. And you mentioned how much you care about your grandparents. This is three generations where the victim is at the top. She's a beloved grandmother and her own daughter and granddaughter used the chainsaw and the grill. You can figure out the rest. And we're not talking about you and I out camping, teaching our
3: grandchildren how to live off the land during a camping weekend. No, we're not. You begin to think about, well, how do you go about disposing of human remains? There are a multitude of ways this is done. Are you thinking in the context of, well, how do we do it respectfully? Well, most people, their default position is always simply prepping the body to a certain degree and burying the body, right? Right. Right. But it does seem, and I've made this comment both on body bags and I'll continue to make it on media platforms, I don't know if there is some kind of desensitization that's taking place. I do not recall having talked about so many dismemberment cases and it's not just this one it is all across the country i mean it seems like if people will go back and kind of look at at our catalog on body bags you'll see that there's a number of these cases there that have occurred in recent history uh certainly in true crime it just seems like that it's it's coming about and what's troubling about it is that there is i think i use the term a callus and i mean that in a, a physical sense we think about We develop calluses on our hands and how appropriate since we're mentioned in my opening about taking down trees and splitting them and that sort of thing. And I had these huge calluses on my hands. You develop these hands in this kind of work, but there's a callus it seems as though that people that might have thought about this in the past are now – Crossing over that boundary and going into this very dark area where they have a comfort in many of these cases we've discussed with applying an instrument to a body and taking it apart piece by piece. And we've covered all methodologies, everything from hacksaws to just. Kitchen knives, cutlery, those sorts of things. We begin to break it down to categories, I think, to this point. In our, our library, this is the first chainsaw case that we've covered. But it just seems as though that people have a comfort with this now. It's not just about killing. It's now, how do we go about taking apart the body that's why when you said that it's at a whole nother level, it, it truly is, and it's demonstrated through this. Because you think about a perpetrator that kills somebody, and then they want to put as much distance between their person and the remains of the deceased as they possibly can. Or how many times over the years have we covered cases where people will just kill somebody and they run away, right? And even in familial homicides where you've got family members, which we do, in Miss Craig's case, you have people that kill a family member and they'll try to get out of there as quickly as possible. This goes to another level because now you're thinking not only are you killing an individual, but you're going to spend time with them and not just a short period of time, Dave. You're going to spend time with this individual with their remains in order to dispose of them. And what the process was here and kind of the timeline and how everything worked out. It was amazing to me because these two women that are allegedly associated with this homicide and dismemberment and attempted destruction of these remains, it was a tedious process. Chainsaw and a grill, that's two things that leave a remnant behind. With a chainsaw, you're talking about if you've never used one, the thing that happens with a chainsaw when you're applying it to a big piece of wood is that you'll get sawdust all over you you can't avoid it. It's going to happen. You're going to have it in your hair. You're going to have it on your arms. You're going to have it in your clothing. It'll be everywhere. And of course, with a grill, all of us have pleasant memories, I would think, of cooking out. And that smell kind of permeates the air, doesn't it? It, it, You get it in your nostrils. Maybe it's in your hair. Particularly, it's this thing that reminds you of seasons. Summer comes to mind. But in this case, Lord have mercy. I can't imagine was going through their minds, the perpetrators, in this particular case when they allegedly did this deed. You've got
4: 71-year-old Margaret Craig. She has a daughter, Candace Craig, who is 44. And Margaret Craig has a granddaughter, the daughter of Candace Craig, 19-year-old Celia Hardy. So we have a woman who is beloved by her neighbor's. When a neighbor realized that he hadn't spoken to her in several days, he called police. Now, I'm guessing here that he probably went next door because the mother, rather Candace Craig and her daughter, Celio, they were both there at the home. And I'm guessing that this neighbor probably knocked on the door. Hey, what's going on? Hadn't seen your mom in a while. Is she okay? I kind of imagine that. I'm not saying it happened. I'm just thinking because I can't imagine when you know people in the house next door that are there but you don't see the one person you know you expect to see there, that your first call is not going to be to the police. You would go next door and say, hey, what's going on? Apparently, for whatever reason, he calls police. Haven't talked to my neighbor in several days. Would you mind doing a welfare check? So I think that the neighbor
3: knew something was up. All of us have had experience with good and bad neighbors. I bet everybody that is within the sound of my voice can identify with that. And sometimes you have the good neighbors, right? We always think about the negative, but there are those people that you live adjacent to that you have a warm greeting for, you know, the old idea of leaning on the fence and talking to your neighbor and just, but, and you learn a lot about people too, what their health conditions are. You understand if they're debilitated in any way, if people are regularly coming to visit them or their habits, she's always going out to get her mail. Maybe she cuts her own grass. Maybe she works in her, in her garden. And when you don't see that sends up a a red flag. For
4: you. And I'm guessing, because of the fact that he picked up the phone and called 911, that there was enough there to make him worried. So, and by the way, I'm blessed to live in a neighborhood where we know our neighbors. And we have an elderly neighbor that we've lived near for 20 something years. And so we do keep up with her. Uh, she's wonderful, but when we don't see her for a couple of days, we do reach out to make sure everything's okay. So here we are, it's Friday afternoon, 1.30 in the day, and officers show up at the house of Margaret Craig. Knock on the door, Margaret Craig's daughter uh, greets them at the front door, uh, Candace Craig, and the uh, police say, hey, uh, neighbor called, hasn't seen your mom for a while, would you mind if we come in and take a look around? Got nothing to hide here, come on in. Now, what kind of mindset do you have when you know what's in the basement? You know what's in there, but sure, come on in, please. She's fine. Look around. You know she's not fine. You think they could come up with some other story of she went to visit a relative. She, you know, any number of things other than, well, come on in. But that's what she said. So police come in. They look around a little bit, and they go downstairs. Police say that as they went downstairs towards the basement, they smelled the odor of decomposition and simultaneously see blood near three trash bags how quickly does the odor of decomposition arrive after the death of
3: someone well the fact that you're talking about plastic trash bags i don't think that people really realize how plastic impacts biological substances and we talk about this actually quite a bit in crime scene investigation how we try very hard not to package things in plastic we prefer paper Think about when we were kids and you went to the grocery store and there were nothing but paper bags. And they have a particular smell to them, don't they? I still remember that. But yeah, you know, and nowadays everything is plastic, right? They used to wrap meat in paper. They actually did. As a matter of fact, and this is kind of a ghoulish aside, when I first started working in the morgue, we had butcher paper. In the morgue, that's how we would prepare bodies after we had done autopsy. We had huge, massive rolls of butcher paper, and we would wrap the bodies in butcher paper. Body bags were considered to be a luxury, so you'd wrap them in the butcher paper, and the funeral home would come by, pick them up, and place them in there. And the thing about plastic is, you know, you're talking about plastic bags, is that it's almost like putting a biological specimen in a hothouse. Because you think about the bag sweating, heat, and that moisture speed up the process, actually, when body parts are placed into a plastic bag. And so it promotes decomposition. And with decomposition, what do you get? You get a foul odor. Can you imagine being this police officer or officers that show up at this thing? And they they walk down there, they see the bags, they see what they believe is blood. But Dave, here, here's another little nugget. They looked down on the floor and they saw, they probably didn't actually recognize it, but they thought that it might be brain matter. And so you're looking at that element in addition to that. So back to the initial question, first with with bodies, many times your first alert, and this is used as a literary device, and in movies, people will say, "What's that smell?" And but that's the truth. It's actually one of the things you see in entertainment that is is reality. You smell decomposing bodies many times long before you ever put eyes on them. I remember being under a house in particular where a grandson had killed his grandmother and buried her underneath the house. And we were under this thing trying to excavate the body and we didn't see the body. It took us hours to excavate this area, you know, and I'm in the stooped position the entire time. It's really hot. It's down here in the deep South. I smelled her, the remains rather for a couple of hours before I ever laid eyes on her. That's how powerful this is. You know, John Wayne Gacy buried bodies under his house. Yeah, I know. And what did he have under his house? Remember uh, the sump pump, or I can't remember, it backed up. And so when those investigators, when they pulled those floorboards up in that environment, they were essentially in this muck with these floating remains where he was trying to bury everything. So- You see the plastic, and I think about that, and I think about probably what they were sensing. Now, I'm not saying that you would not have smelled decomposing body without plastic. You still would have, but when you begin to place things into plastics like this, it prompts breaking down. And the fact that this individual that answered the door allegedly felt comfortable enough to say, yeah, come on in. Yeah, come come on in. Yeah, yeah, we got nothing to hide here. Yeah, and to back up, all right, when police arrive and as I said the
4: daughter allegedly here because this has not been adjudicated. We have 71-year-old Margaret Craig is the deceased. We do know that. We know her daughter Candace Craig, is 44 and she was there, and we know that Celia Hardy, 19-year-old victim's granddaughter of Candace Craig. Now, the police arrive, they go downstairs, they say they smell the odor of decomposition, they see blood near trash bags. Now, They had one of the bags that wasn't sealed and they were able to look in that without, you know, it was obvious without touching, moving or anything. And they noticed things that appeared to them to be the brain matter and things like that of a body. So they start going back up the stairs. They know they've got to call in forensics. They got to call a team in here. And as they're going up the stairs, well, to back up when they were going down the stairs, one of the police officers noted, hey, there's a knife right here. It was just on the stairs. And on the way back up the stairs, the knife was gone. To most people, you would think going down, you see a knife and coming up, it's gone. And the only person here is the woman who lied you in the house. She's got something to hide. So now they begin the process of figuring out what took place. Oh, my goodness. This is where everything falls apart or comes together, depending on your point of view. So, Joe, when this happens and police call for I don't know if you call for backup or whatever, but you've got police officers who are there to do a welfare check. Within
3: a matter of minutes, they're faced with a gruesome smell and sight. Who
4: do they call? Do they call forensics
3: right away? Yeah, yeah, they would. And the, the person that actually made the determination that they were dealing with human remains, they're framing them as a forensic investigator. I'm imagining that this is probably somebody from the ME's office. Up in Maryland, they don't have coroner system. They have medical examiner's uh, system. And I've actually done training up in Baltimore uh, with some of these folks. Is there a big difference between a medical examiner and a coroner? There are coroners or are lay uh, lay people most of the time and uh, there are mighty fine coroners that are out there that are highly trained and and very professional at what they do but they're elected officials. And depending upon the state, you know, they'll come from all walks of life, but with medical examiners and medical examiner systems You're going to have, obviously, a physician that's the boss, the forensic pathologist, but your investigators, you go places like New York, believe it or not, people don't realize this, you go like New York, for instance, and other jurisdictions, the investigators that they have will actually be physician assistants or nurse practitioners. So, these people are highly trained from a medical perspective and from a pathology perspective. I want to back up a little bit. One of the most terrifying issues with this, you mentioned that knife that had been on the stairs, and when I teach crime scene investigation to my students at university, I try to let them know, particularly those that are going to be police officers that are just coming into the field or think they're going to be, you never allow anybody to follow you into a location that you're searching that is not part of your team or that's not a police officer. For all we know, the individual could have picked up that knife and buried it in the cop's neck. Right. I wondered the
4: same thing. Did they freak out when they realized the knife was gone, or did they try to remain calm to figure out
3: what happened? We don't know. They didn't really say. Yeah, and and we don't know at this point in time, and it's speculative on our part, but here's the problem. They're going on a welfare check. Who in the world would ever expect to find a grandmother that has been dismembered? And as we'll find out, Partially consumed by fire in the basement of this home. That's why our working philosophy is that every death is a homicide until we can prove otherwise. My kids make fun of me for this. I've never been a fan of doing puzzles. Everybody thinks that, I guess, for some reason, because I was a forensic investigator, I enjoy doing things like puzzles. Did you also know? I got to tell you this, Dave, and people find this kind of interesting. Did you know that I have played Clue since I was nine? I think. Did you know I've never won a game of Clue? I never have. It's just, it's one of those things, and I, I find it tedious. I don't know why it is, but when we're talking about this case with Miss Craig, this is a puzzle in both a literal and a figurative way. We well, you know, when police got there for
4: their uh, welfare check and, and fairly quickly on figured out something heinous had taken place and made the call for experts to come in, they separated The mother, Candace Craig, who's 44, and her daughter, Celia Hardy, 19. And while Candace Craig didn't volunteer a lot of information to police, they read them their rights. You have the right to remain silent. But Celia Hardy said, fine, I want to talk. And it was 19-year-old Celia Hardy, the granddaughter of the victim, daughter of the alleged perpetrator of the crime, who actually gave us all the information we know of what took place. And what she told police is that she heard an argument taking place between her mother and her grandmother. And her grandmother was telling Margaret Craig, the, the victim, was telling Candace Craig, the suspect, that she was going to call police because her credit card had been used by Salia Hardy, the 19-year-old granddaughter of the victim. And she was mad. It was done without her approval. And mother and daughter were having a big argument about it. And it was when Candace Craig, 44 years old, tells her mother, she ain't calling the cops about this, that Celia Hardy claimed she went to sleep. And when she woke up the next morning, she knew they had been been fighting. Next morning, she wakes up and there's a blue tub in her room containing the now deceased 71-year-old Margaret Craig. Meaning she can't tell us what took place during or after the fight. She can only tell us that when she woke up, grandma was dead and in a tub. And then she begins the story of the chainsaw, the knives and the barbecue grill. So when police get it down to this point where they now know that they have their victim and alleged suspect, how did they dig into this to determine What was used first, the chainsaw, the knife? Because that seems to me like it would matter. And again, it goes back to what you said at the very beginning. Why do we seem to have more of these types of dismemberment stories? The woman was already dead.
3: I have no idea. At some point in time, you and I are going to sit down. We're going to begin to log these because there's a pattern here. I see it. I'm referring to dismemberment cases. But first off, this seems... Highly disorganized. And when I say that, I mean like when they talk about these kind of organized and disorganized kinds of crimes, it seems like something that would be, this is not a methodically planned kind of thing where you've got everything laid out, you know how you're going to do it some grand plan has gone into action here you lure a person in you take their life still to this point they have not released actually what the cause of death is and i don't know if that goes to their desire not to release that information or if it goes to how much confusion might exist i know this i know that when police did this initial walkthrough at the scene one of the things that was kind of ominous that they noticed there you had a case, a chainsaw case, then you had a chainsaw. How exactly do you determine in the morgue, for instance, when you're examining these remains, what came first? I'm not trying to weasel out of this question, but that's that's very difficult to answer without more data. I will tell you this, the ferocity of a chainsaw and just For people that are not necessarily up to speed, no pun intended, what speed a chainsaw actually works at or functions at, a chainsaw roughly moves at about 80 to 90 feet per second. That is the chain itself going around the saw bar, which is what they call the, the saw bar is what the chain is actually hooked to. And that translates roughly into about 55 miles per hour. All right. Just envision that just for a second. So, if you think about your tire spinning on the road as it's conveying you down the road, that is the rate. Now, that can increase because they have variable speeds. You can pull a trigger on it. You know, It'll speed up. It'll slow down, that sort of thing. And it has to because it has to generate enough speed in order to cut through these surfaces. And you think about primarily with chainsaws, you think about going through wood. Here's another interesting kind of side about chainsaws is that the blade if you want to call it a blade it's actually multiple blades or teeth that a chainsaw has when they hit the surface of a solid object they begin to kind of chew through it and it's it's not precision man i'm just telling you when you look at this you can kind of see particularly when you're you're going through these fleshy sides like this. You're going through soft tissue, then you hit bone. It literally tears. It tears the skin as it's going through, but it goes at such an incredible rate, it slices through it like butter. One of my big questions is, as the chainsaw is being used on Miss Craig's remains, I'm thinking, did the perpetrators, the alleged perpetrators in this case, did they suddenly have this idea that... The remains of, or the particulate remains of, their loved one are being deposited on them. Because, as I said earlier, you know, my experience with using chainsaws, you can't escape sawdust. How much more so with a chainsaw where it's going through multiple layers of tissue? You're talking about skin, you're talking about muscle, you're talking about sinew, bone. The bone dust. Oh, and by the way, we've got blood. There's got to be blood everywhere.
4: The human body has a lot of blood.
3: Yeah, and it would be, you know, we talk about this idea of cast off. And <laughs> most people think about cast off where, and I always describe it when I'm teaching as dipping a taking a paintbrush and dipping it into a pail of paint, right? And kind of slinging it over your head you know you get it on the ceiling or on the wall i've seen perpetrators that actually have it down their back in a diagonal pattern but with the speed at which a chainsaw moves, you're going to see this almost fine histamine-like deposition. And one of the ways we measure velocity on blood stains is we categorize it rather. We have low velocity, we have medium velocity, then we have high velocity. I would think that with chainsaws, you're going to see some high-velocity deposition. And most of the time, High velocity deposition is associated with gunfire. So, just so people understand and kind of get an idea as to what it looks like, the lower the velocity, the bigger the droplet. And that's kind of how we figure this out. It's not rocket science. That's kind of how we figure this out. So, if you have high velocity blood staining that's going on or, or deposition, It will look very tiny. It almost looks many times like sprayed tomato juice or sprayed grape juice where you get these fine little droplets. If you put a magnifying glass over it, you'll see that they are actually individual little droplets. But they're coming off at such a high rate of speed that the droplets themselves are very tiny, very, very tiny. And that's kind of how we delineate in this world of interpretation of blood staining about what went on. And in this environment, when you're talking about the dismemberment of human remains, using a chainsaw, Dave, it's going to be everywhere. It would be everywhere. So, the more, like, when you change your position, this is one of the things that happens with chainsaws. As you change positions with the chainsaw relative to the target you're going to get another pattern that will develop so you can have these streaked patterns that are kind of interlacing on all of these surfaces where just imagine you've got big X's everywhere or uh, almost like these asterisks. They're very linear, but you might have them overlapping depending upon how much you're moving that chainsaw blade around. And it can be quite confusing. You'll come up with a very unique pattern investigators did say you know they found
4: human remains on the chainsaw when they seized it but i was thinking joe i'm trying to picture the order okay we know about the welfare check we know police show up all right candace craig allows police in they look around they smell the odor of decomposition they see blood around trash bags glancing into a trash bag hey i think we see brain matter in here they call in the experts who identify the the body parts in the bag are in fact human and they talk to the 19-year-old daughter, Salia Hardy, who then explains what took place leading them to this moment in time. But what we don't have is the order in which it took place. And I was thinking that based on the fact there was a knife, I'm thinking that being I'm assuming that the suspects here are amateurs at this, that they don't regularly dismember bodies. We don't have any proof of that, but I'm assuming that, okay, we have a body. We got to get rid of this. And in that panic, you mentioned panic, chaos, that they grab a knife. We'll just cut her up and we'll dispose of her. And then they realize, one, there's blood everywhere. Two, this knife really isn't cutting through. This is a lot tougher than we thought. Hey, there's a chainsaw over here. And I'm putting all this together in my head and I'm thinking only because of the job that I do in reporting and that I've talked to you about, do I know what really is taking place there? What the these two women are finding out about a deceased body and what is coming out and what because they said they found cleaning supplies downstairs, meaning they had a plan. We're going to dismember, clean up and get rid because they had the trash bags. But it was a much bigger task
3: than they anticipated, allegedly. It seems there's really no methodology here where you know if you if you think about how you would go about it scientifically, you know if we were in the morgue and we were having to dismember a remain which we have done and which still goes on there's certain times when that's required you have to take parts of bodies off there's a methodology to it and certainly there's the appropriate tools for the task that are constructed for this so you're faced with this idea and i love what you said about the knife this is not getting it here because it's insufficient to the task okay well let's leap from here and let's go to chainsaw well now you're going to the opposite end of the spectrum because if you think you had trouble wielding the knife now you've got this mechanical device that is going to wreak utter havoc on the target and now you've really got a mess and so oh my gosh what do we do now and you're faced with this you're faced with this if you are a perpetrator and and i mean that in a blanket statement over any kind of case like this of dismemberment what am i going to do with these remains if this case couldn't be any more ghastly i think the fact that there was an attempt somewhere along the way To render down the body using heat, according to the authorities and the solicitor, the prosecutor in particular up there, a grill came into play, Dave, where uh, like a grill that we would use to. Barbecue with or to cook with outdoors, you know, with our family. I think about that with this. How I many times had that grill been used over the years, perhaps for celebrations, you know, to have a meal with the family? You're cooking hot dogs and hamburgers, and they're going to use a grill to get rid of Miss Craig's remains. And it, there was also a brush fire that. According to a couple of witnesses, apparently, they thought that they saw human remains being placed into the brush fire. And it was just inside. the. There's like a big wooded area back behind this home. So, allegedly, you've got these two elements that are involved as well. So, it's not just a matter of trying to take apart the body, which is all over the board here because I got to back up again brain matter. How in the world did you get brain matter? Did you apply the the chainsaw to the head in order to take it apart? Would you be tasked with trying to determine why
4: the brain matter was on the floor? Because I think that would have a lot to do with the crime that the people are alleged to have committed.
3: Yeah. And because you have brain matter, you have a specific anatomical element that you're going to want to examine very very carefully in this case Dave and that is obviously the skull. One discipline that would come into this case that it seems as though is probably being visited far more frequently than any other time in the past is going to be your tool mark expert because the tool mark expert will actually be able to examine any of these markings on the bone in particular relative to this type of chainsaw, okay, and the knife too as well, but with the chainsaw in particular, and when you go to places like, say for instance, the FBI, do you know the FBI in their forensic lab, they will have access to Probably just about every kind of chainsaw that there is out there. And then that's their tool mark section. And what they will do is, or they will go purchase one that's similar to the one that was recovered at the scene. And they will probably get wood. They will do a a test on wood to see what kind of tool mark is left behind by said chainsaw that is of the same manufacturer and same type uh, on the wood. And does it compare up to what they're seeing on the bone? That's just mind-numbing. I had no idea, Joe. No idea. Yeah, well, when you're going to move forward with a case like this and you try to figure it out, the one thing that is left behind that ultimately is going to have to speak to this jury is going to be the science.
4: As it stands right now, the charges, in this case, Candace Craig, 44-year-old daughter of the victim and mother of the other suspect, Candace Craig is charged with first and second degree murder. Her daughter, Celia Hardy, is charged with accessory after the fact, and both are in the custody of the Department of Corrections.
3: I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags.